0: Thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm from uh, Yorba Linda, California, which is down in Orange County. Um, but man, it's such a such a pleasure. Uh, to be here with you guys. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like the Ben of my church. Um, and so all of those hats he switches between. Um, I do the same thing. I'm the worship pastor at our church and the young adults pastor. And um, of course, I've known Bon and Heather for uh, like over 10 years now. And so Heather and I serve on the, on the Saving Grace World Missions uh, board. Um, and so that, that's, you know, been super amazing. And um, yeah, I, I know both of your uh, both of your Jordans, or at least two of your Jordans. Uh, I don't know if you're hiding anymore, um, with with varying last vowels in the word Jordan. Um, you guys play a little fast and loose with that last vowel in Jordan. I don't know if you're gonna get a Jordan or Jordan or Jordine, Jordune, um, but. Uh, it's been been so sweet being being a part of you guys in those ways. It's cool to be here because um, I feel like just through Bon and Heather and then through the Jordans, I've been um, you know I've had this this little part with this church. And so um, back in October, I got to go to Nepal. Uh, with a few of you guys, and so um, I know, you know, I met Barb on that trip, and Nina, and Tony, and Jean, and Jan, and, and Sherry, and I'm trying to think if, I, if I've forgotten everyone anyone, but um, that was such a sweet time as well, and then back in uh, February, um, I got to, Von, Von invited me up, me and my wife up to the Young Adults Retreat in Tahoe, um, which was so awesome, and so, uh, you know, I would prepared a few messages, and I had my last Message prepared uh, for that uh, what was it? I think it was it was Sunday morning. Um, you know, that last message, I was like, man, this is the one. Like, this is going to wrap up everything. It's a really important message. And then we got snowed out. Typically, you get it snowed in places. Um, but, you know, I think it was uh, I think it was uh, Doug and, and Heather who were like, if you guys don't leave right now, uh, you're going to get snowed in. And so uh, we all scrambled to get out of there. This was back in February. is a crazy, craziest snow that I've ever been in. Um, you know, I'm a Southern California boy. Um, so... <laughs> We're not used to weather. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, we scrambled. And, you know, for all, you know, I've been to, you know, I've, I've traveled internationally, um, you know, a handful of times. This is the longest day of travel I'd ever had. Uh, just, you know, we, we had to go to a different airport, and then we were switching flights, and we had this long layover in Phoenix and all this stuff just to get back to, to Ont- you know we, we went to we flew into Ontario and um, you know so I actually I just flew up here on Thursday and Thursday night I gave that last message to the young adults um, and I just felt like you know what I told him is I, I think the Lord uh, kind of held that off. I think w- everything that I had said previously that weekend he kind of he kind of wanted that to just sit with you guys um, and just kind of kind of be there and then he had that last message for Thursday night for them. And I kind of felt similarly about this morning. Um, You know, when Ross asked me maybe a month or so ago to teach, you know, I've been kind of thinking through what am what am I going to teach on this morning. And of course, it's you know tempting to kind of go back over some more recent sermons and kind of pull out something. But the Lord kept bringing me back to Matthew six. You guys can turn there if you have your Bibles um, to to this prayer Jesus gives us in Matthew six. And I don't I don't know why. Um, it's just the thing that kept coming up to my heart and to my mind is just been praying specifically for you guys. And Lord, what do you have for the rock that morning? I, I don't like just coming and filling a guest spot because, you know, a few of your pastors are gone and you need someone to, to speak. That's, that's not how I like to operate. So I was just asking the Lord, what specifically would we have for this church? And I felt like this is what he He put on my heart. And so I hope that he has a specific word For you guys this morning, I'm gonna go ahead and read the text. We'll be reading uh, verses 5 through 15 of Matthew 6. I'm reading out of the New King James Version and and then we'll pray. Jesus says there, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you need of before you you have need of, before you ask him. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Lord, this morning, God, you, you, as John the Baptist said, you must increase and I must decrease. And we must decrease, Lord. I, I, get me out of the way this morning of what You want to say, Lord. Is as, as the one with the microphone, and I got the loudest voice in the room right now. Lord, I, I don't want, I don't want me to come through. I want Your voice, God. Your inspired, inerrant, infallible Word to teach us to pray this morning, God. Thank you for what this text has done and is continuing to do in my life. And I pray that you would have your intended effect on our lives this morning, Lord, as your word is preached. We love you. Please be in our midst. We need your spirit for this to be worth anything right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you guys um, struggle with prayer. It's one of the biggest things that I find that Christians struggle with, including myself, and it's why I hesitate to, you know, as as a teacher, I never want to teach on something that, like, you know, I haven't, I feel like I haven't mastered, right? But I I know I have not mastered prayer. It's hard. It's hard to to sit alone and, and to concentrate. And to not be, you know, distracted by the little rectangles in our pockets and and, and to to not let our minds wander. And sometimes your, your your list of things to pray for is so big that you're like, where do I even start? You ever have a list so big that you're just like paralyzed and you're like, where do, where do I even begin? And then you think like, okay, what do I pray for people? Like, I know they're in need, but we go, we go through our, our Rolodex in our minds of little Christian phrases like, okay, Lord, bless them. Uh, comfort them uh, traveling mercies and we get all these little just phrases that we just kind of throw out to the Lord and it's nothing really specific and we feel like nothing really sticks and sometimes just sitting by yourself you you, because God's not like physically present with you, you can feel like maybe my prayers are just bouncing off the walls prayer can be a really difficult thing for us so much so that, that Jesus' disciples in Luke 11, they go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Which I think that the disciples were most of the time kind of knuckleheads. But it was a rare moment of clarity for them. You see, think of what the disciples could have asked Jesus. Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us how to pull bread and, bread and fish out of our sleeves. Teach us how to, how to heal. Teach us how to calm storms. But the disciples understood that real power in their lives is only going to come through prayer. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I'm sure they had watched Jesus pray. I'm sure they had observed that, and they said, I want that kind of intimacy with God. I want that kind of power in my life. I want that kind of relationship. And 2,000 years later... Jesus is using this prayer that he gave to to, to the disciples to still teach us how to pray. And so I want us to look at Jesus' instructions about prayer and, and for us to receive from them this morning so that maybe we can have some help as we struggle to pray. And Jesus starts with, uh, with the approach. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have seven, seven points I wanna pull out of this section for us to help us in our prayer lives. And the first one is approaching, if you're taking notes and wanna write that down. And he says, first of all, notice he says, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. And, and, and the two kind of exhortations Jesus gives us around this involve you know our giving and our fasting. And he says, when you give, when you pray when you fast you see jesus assumes that we're going to pray and maybe that hits some of us this morning it's like i can't remember the, the last time i took more than 5 minutes to sit down and pray not at a prayer meeting not you know not before a meal but just like sat down with the lord and prayed and poured out my heart to him and gave him my requests and just spent time talking to him Jesus expects, he says, when you pray, he expects that we're to pray. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis said that, look, if the chief end of man, as the catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, shouldn't we want to pray? Shouldn't we want to spend time with this God that we're meant to glorify and enjoy? And then he said, this is from his book, Letters to Malcolm, Um, C.S. Lewis said that a Christian Christian, um, who doesn't like to pray. It's like a rose bush that doesn't like produces, producing roses. It's what we were made to do. It's what we were born again to do is pray. And so Jesus expects that we will, but we have to approach God in the right way. He says, he says first of all, don't be like the hypocrites. He says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and, and they love to be seen by men. And he says, when you pray, you go into your room, you pray in secret. Now, Jesus isn't denouncing public prayer Of course, we have prayers recorded by Jesus. And and by the way, most most people, maybe even the little header in your Bible, calls this the Lord's Prayer that we're about to read about. Um, But I I like to think of it as the disciples' prayer. Jesus has other prayers in scriptures that we could more appropriately call his prayer, like the high priestly prayer in John 17. Or that prayer he he prays three times in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, Where he says, you know, Lord, let this, Father, let this cup pass from me, um, you know, however, not my will, but yours be done. Those are the Lord's prayers. This isn't a prayer Jesus prays for himself. He gives this prayer to us as a model of how to pray, of how to interact with our heavenly Father. And so as Jesus gives us this prayer, he he says, it's a prayer not for other people. And this is what the hypocrite can fall into. Let me just take a moment to talk about hypocrisy. I've met a lot of Christians. You know, first of all, you meet people outside the church, and they don't like the church because they say it's full of hypocrites. And uh, you know, in, in some ways, they're probably right. But in a lot of ways, we're not hypocrites, you know. Um, pe- people come to me struggling with the idea of like, "Oh, I don't think I should come to church because I haven't been living the way that God wants me to." And I, so I feel like it'd be hypocritical. I've had people tell me, well, I don't want to sing and raise my hands and, and worship because my emotions just aren't there. And I feel like that's hypocritical to do that if I'm not feeling like doing it. You know, or maybe it's it's public prayer. I don't feel like praying, I, I feel like I shouldn't, it'd be, be hypocritical to pray in public because I haven't been praying in private like I should. Look, doing those things is not where hypocrisy lies. You're not a hypocrite because you come to church but you're struggling with sin. You're not a hypocrite to raise your hands and sing and worship even when you're not feeling like it. You're being obedient. You're being obedient. And, and, and what that means is you're putting your body, you're putting your actions ahead of where you're asking God to let your heart follow. God, I'm gonna lift my hands if I don't feel like it, but and I'm gonna ask that you make my heart follow, God. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come to church even though I'm walking in sin right now because you know what use is it to say like, I'm not gonna go to the doctor, I'm sick. You know, I shouldn't go out like this. I don't want them to see me like this with snot around on my nose and I'm coughing. This is terrible. No, we come to church when we're struggling. Hypocrisy happens when I come to church pretending I'm not struggling. Hypocrisy happens when I lift my hands in worship because I want people to think I'm spiritual. That's what the hypocrite does. And Jesus' point here is that the hypocrite prays for other people and not for God. Now, in a in a public setting like this, like I might be the one in most danger of this. You know, I'm sure Pastor Ross doesn't do this, but he, we've all been in the closing prayer of a sermon where you're like, this pastor's not praying to God. He's he's trying to fit his last point in to his prayer. He's preaching to me right now, you know. Or like uh, like as as worship leaders and and you know Ben and I know this you're trying to you're doing the capo change prayer you know where you gotta you gotta transition into a different key and so you shoot up a little prayer this little filler prayer and you know we don't want to pray for other people we want to pray to God God is our audience he's our one audience in prayer and again Jesus isn't denouncing public prayer we should pray publicly but make sure that when we pray it's not for other people it's for God. And that's why it's important to have a private prayer life, to have a closet, to have a place where you go where you know there's gonna be no temptation to pray for someone else because I'm only gonna be able to focus on God in that place. And this is a reminder to have a place, have a time, have, have, a, have a, a, a structure to your devotional life. If you don't plan it, you won't do it. If I don't plan to date my wife, I will never do it. If I don't pick a place, even if it takes half an hour of us going back and forth, you know, trying to pick a place. And she's like, I'm fine, whatever. And I'm like, this place? She's like, no. You know, it's like, (laughs) but you have to plan it. We have to get the babysitter. Like, you, you have to plan it. Man, have a place. Have a time that you meet with Jesus daily. If you don't plan it, it won't happen Secondly, we're not to pray like the heathen. And here he says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Um, and uh, what's interesting here, that word vain repetition, um, it, the Greek word is um, which is a funny word. And it's a, it's a word of onomatopoeia. You guys remember onomatopoeia from English class? It's a sound word. So if you read a comic book and you see the bang, zip, pow, you know, it's, it's that word that sounds like what it is. And that's what batalageo is, because you, you could picture these, uh, these heathen and they're praying to, you know, to their false gods. And it's the idea of saying that over and over, batalageo, batalageo, batalageo. You know, it's kind of a funny, like they're just, they're like a chant almost in order to get their God's attention. And Jesus' point here is that we can be like this with our prayers, You know, maybe you think like, well, if I use the King James language, you know, God, of course, he likes the King James English more. That Shakespearean, you know, (laughs) you know, uh, and and Jesus' point here is that God doesn't need to be persuaded by, by the types of words you use or the length of your prayers. You know, one of my favorite things about this prayer he gives us is that it's short. It's not this, and and there's a place for long prayers. Jesus would spend the whole night on the mountain with God. And I think we need we, we probably need to do better at spending a longer time in prayer. But he says it's not the length of the prayer. It's not the type of words that you use. It's not the vain repetitions. It's not, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that as Protestants, um, you know, as, as, or evangelicals, whatever you call yourself, you know, we're, we can be afraid of this prayer because of what you know, the more liturgical churches have, have used it, and it becomes just like, just like words, and we're afraid to use this prayer. But man, if our heart's in it, I use this prayer all the time. You know, As long as I'm actually thinking, I'm not just saying it, thinking that, just the words coming out and the time I spend with God, it's, it's gonna force his hand. You can't force his hand. You can't manipulate God. You, you don't have to persuade him. He wants to listen to your prayers. He wants to answer you. And maybe that's the first thing you need to realize in your prayer life is God's actually longing for this time with you. He's actually desiring that you would come and spend time with him. Jesus says in verse 8, you don't need to be like them. Your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And that presents a problem for some of us. Because we're like, well, then why would I pray if God only already knows what I need? Why, why would I have to pray those things? Why doesn't He just answer them without me telling him? But Jesus, I love that he that he says this here. He confronts it head on. This question that we have. It's not a question for him. He just states it as a fact. For he thinks that this brings freedom to our prayers, that God already knows what what we need. And I don't have to, like, beg him for it. I don't have to come up with something. In fact, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with with groanings which cannot be uttered. So, like, even when I don't know the exact words that I should pray, God goes, great. Love that heart. The Spirit's going to take over. And he's going to pray exactly what you're supposed to pray right now for you. That, and, and man, that's such a help to my prayers. God, you know what I mean. I, I don't even know what to pray right now. This situation is so weird. It's so scary. It's so complicated. It, it's so difficult. It's so tragic. I don't even know what to pray out of this. And God goes, that's great. I just love that you're talking to me. My spirit will pray exactly what you need. And for, for Jesus, this frees us in our prayers. And it reminds me that the point of, relation, or, or, or of prayer is relationship. It's not to give God my laundry list. You know, God knows what I need, but I'm not his dog. You guys who have dogs, you know when your dog needs food, you know when your dog needs water, you know when you need to take your dog out to use <laughs> use the restroom. You know, you you know all of these things, but we're not God's dogs. He wants relationship. He wants us to ask. He wants us to talk to him. He loves having that. Well, our next point Is addressing. And Jesus dives into the prayer here in in the beginning of verse 9 addressing. How do we address God? He says, Our Father in heaven. This brings us to that point again that, you know, this isn't a dog owner relationship, it's a father child relationship. But notice the first word in the prayer, he says, Our, our Father. And we know because of what Jesus said about finding a secret place, finding a closet, getting alone with him, we know that that this isn't meant to just be a public uh, prayer. This is to be a private prayer, but we're to say that word, our. You see, as we pray in private, we are never to separate ourselves from the wider body of Christ. There is no island Christian. There is no lone ranger Christian you know, I've heard people say that, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. You know, it would be like saying, Joel, I like you, but I'm really, I really don't like your wife. That's not gonna fare well for our relationship. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, like, you, there, is no, there is no New Testament vision for Christianity outside of the local church, outside of the body of Christ. So even in my private devotions... Even in my time of prayer between just me and God, I'm to keep the wider body of Christ in mind. I'm to remember I'm part of something bigger than just me. We're to bring a sense of community into our prayers. And then he says, Our Father. I love this. This might be hard for some of you guys to see God as a Father. I know maybe you've you've had a terrible relationship with your dad. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad left. Maybe your dad has, has passed away. And so, to, to, when you think of father, it's all negative connotations and it's difficult for you. I, I would ask you to, to, to channel that a little bit differently and to think about whatever was, was poor or absent about your relationship with your father. Imagine what your heart was actually longing for. Because in those cases, you know what you were missing. I was missing something in a father. There, there was a hole left there. there. There was a break in the family. And God's here to say, I fulfill all of that. And even for those of us who had good, healthy relationships with our father, they weren't perfect. And Jesus, Jesus says, the, the father, God the father fills in those gaps. He is the perfect father. And what's a perfect father do? A perfect father provides... A perfect father protects. A perfect father trains and teaches and disciplines and makes us ready for the world. That's what a perfect father does. And that's what God is for us. He's a provider. He's a protector. He's a teacher. You know, He holds us. He guides us. He is such a perfect and loving father. And it says like in, in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11... He says, uh, "What man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask?" See, God's just waiting to give you good things. He's not. He, he's not some vindictive like. Just sitting up there, mad at you, and like, what do you have to say to me today? He's longing for this. He's longing to pour out blessings. He wants to listen to and answer your prayers. But what does Jesus say next in this prayer, Our Father in Heaven? He points to his position because look, I'm a dad. I've got four kids. My oldest is nine, and my youngest is four. They're a handful, uh, but but I love them so much. And I want to give the world to them. I, I want to provide for every need and, 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 and their wants. And I love, you know, taking them out for ice cream. And, you know, and, and I want to protect them. There's so much going on in our world that I'm like, oh, God, I just, I don't want to let them out of the house sometimes. You know, it's like, it's just, it's, sometimes it's just so hard taking them out. And like, and, but, but my power is limited. There are going to be things, maybe even things that they need, that I can't provide for them. There will come times when they need protection from something. They're in danger. And I won't be able to protect them. I'm a limited creature. But what this shows us here, what our address to God shows us, is that he's not just a father who intends to provide and protect and love us. He has all of the power to do so because he's enthroned in heaven. He's enthroned as the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. He can do anything. And he wants wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to give us everything that we need. Isn't that amazing? So this breeds confidence in my prayers. Oh, he's in heaven. It's not like I just ask for stuff and like hopefully he can come through. Hopefully he's not too busy today with everyone else in the world. No, he's in heaven. He loves you. He wants to give you everything you need, and he can. He is able. Next, we get to prioritizing in our prayers. All the other ones start with A, but my thesaurus failed me here. So we got a random P thrown in, prioritizing. And he says this. He starts with, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is a word you probably didn't use this week. Um, But it's the way that we recognize this prayer it's actually just the verb form of the word holy. Um so I could say literally if I wanted to make up a word I could say holyfy be your name or the CSB translates it your name be honored as holy which I think really captures the sense of this. This is the it, this is the first request in the prayer. You know that hallowed be your name. You see this part of the prayer in verse in in, in that last part of verse 9 and then into verse 10. It's how we prioritize our prayers to make all the rest of our prayers safe. As we say, God, praying is not about asking for myself. God, it's time for me to center my mind and my heart on your glory, your name, your kingdom, and your will. Your name, Jesus' name being hallowed. Jesus' name, God's name being regarded as holy. Is that the goal of your life? Does it bother you? to see God's name not being regarded as holy, to see God not, this is essentially worship. Does it bother you to look around the world and see that God is not worshiped? You know, one of the great books on missions, um, it begins with this. It says, missions is not ultimate. Worship is ultimate. And missions exist because worship doesn't. And what that means is that, you know, your team didn't go to Uganda just to do missions for the sake of missions. No, they want to see the name of Jesus hollowed in Uganda, in Africa, in Asia, all around the world where the name of Jesus isn't being hollowed. It, we, the reason we do missions, because that bothers us. And we have to see to it that everyone's given the opportunity to honor the name of Christ to honor the name of God. To worship the true and living God. It should bother us when his name isn't regarded as holy. And that centers our prayers. You know, I, I, went, I went with Jordan V uh, to, uh, to Pataluma last night. We were walking around downtown. And it was cool. And we ate dinner there and stuff. But just looking around, I'm just reminded there's so many people who need Jesus. There's so many things flying out of people's mouth that was far from the hallowing of God's name. And I thought, man... This has to bother me. This has to motivate my prayers. What I should pray for the most is that God would be glorified in this world and in my life, that he would be first. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. In the simplest way of putting God's kingdom is wherever God is regarded as king. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, God's will is done perfectly in heaven. In fact, like if you ever read the book of Revelation, you're given all these glimpses of what heaven is like. I just want to read one of them from Revelation chapter 5. Um, John's there in the throne room of heaven, and there's these living creatures flying around, and there's a sea of glass, and there's rainbows, and there's this giant throne, and are these 24 elders. It's a crazy scene in heaven, but it's filled with worship. And it says in Revelation 5, verse verse 8, he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Keep that in your mind for a moment. He's got golden bowls full of incense and those are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll And to open its seals, for you were slain. They're singing to Jesus here. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and, and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and and bless and honor and glory and blessing. Did Jesus die for angels? He didn't die for angels. And yet angels are singing about the cross. That'll blow your mind. They are so blown away by the cross. It didn't even buy their salvation. But they're so amazed by it that they worship God for it. And every creature, verse 13, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. That's a scene of worship. And Jesus tells us to pray, I want that here. I want that happening here now amongst every tribe, every tongue, every nation. I want that in downtown Pataluma. I want that in this church. I want that in my home. I want that in the unreached tribes of the Himalayas and in India. God, this has to happen. This is my heart. God, how can I be a part of that? God, how can you use me towards that end? This is everything. My little stuff doesn't matter anymore because this has to happen on earth. And we pray not just for it to happen now, but this is a prayer for God to bring this about in the future. And so in Revelation chapter 8, I didn't ask them to put this up on the screen, um, but remember I said there's that censer, there's that little bowl, and it's filled with the prayers of the saints. Okay, So as we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. It says says in Revelation uh, chapter eight, uh, it says like in verse three, another angel having a golden censer, he came and he stood at the altar and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints ascended before God. From the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. You see what's happening? That's your prayers for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. That's our prayers for God to bring about his glory on the earth. They don't hit the ceiling, they're going into this bowl of incense. And then the angel pours them out. God's making His will happen on earth. He's bringing about His redemptive plan for all of creation, and He's using your prayers to do it. That's rad. I want to be a part of that. That makes me want to say my prayers because, like, whoa, I get to be a part of God doing that. Like Book of Re- there's my prayers right there in the little bowl in Revelation. I'm in the Bible. It's awesome. We center our minds, we make our priority, we make God's priorities our priorities when we pray this prayer. And it makes the rest of our prayers safe. Because now we're focused on not my will, but God's will. That's why John, first John 5, 14 through 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we've asked of in him. It makes our prayers safe when we pray according to his will. You guys, this is kind of random. Any Garth Brooks fans in here? Okay, a few of you guys like Garth Brooks, all right. Um, So when I first saw Jordan S. down in California, I assumed you all like country music um, because he has has boots on. Um, And so... (laughs) I'm just playing. Um, I remember one of the first CDs, I think it was the first CD I bought when I was a kid. I must have been 11 years old. I went to a store called The Warehouse. Um, You have to be over a certain age to remember The Warehouse. Um, But I went and I bought my first CD. And I don't know, I don't even like country music. I don't know what compelled me to do this. But I bought No Fences by Garth Brooks. And there's an album, you guys know what song I'm going to refer to. There's a song on that album, Unanswered Prayers. Um, you know, some of God's greatest gifts. Uh, you know, and um, and, so, and and this—it's a song that he, you know, Garth Brooks goes with his wife. I think it's like the the high school football game, and he sees his old flame, his old this girl he prayed for. And he I don't know, and it's the song is so I think unintentionally funny um, because it's like he sees her and he's like yikes um, like and he goes some of God's greatest gifts was not answering that prayer that I had for this girl you know and um, and I think about that but when I when I when I center my priorities on God's will God what's what's your plan I want your glory. Then I don't pray prayers like God's like, oh, no, 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 Joel, I'm not going to do that. Um, You know, like I'm thankful that God doesn't answer all of my silly prayers for my silly wants. I'm glad that he knows better. But what makes me a person who doesn't pray for those things in the first place is centering myself on God's glory, on God's will. We move on to admitting and asking. In verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Like I said, I've loved it here in Santa Rosa, and um, Bon and Heather have been so hospitable to me. I'm like, you know, I left my wife and kids at home, and I'm just like a bachelor, got their house to myself right now. And they left me so many snacks. Um, (laughs) It's awesome. And you know, I'm texting my wife like I'm, I'm gonna come back a little heavier. Um, you know, don't be frightened. You're just not here to stop me. Because um, I've just, you know, I've just, it's been kind of a study retreat for me. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, this is here. I'm going to eat it. Um, and you, I don't think we're prone to ask God for our daily bread because it's always here. You know, and maybe some of you guys have been or are going through right now a time of great lack. And you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. But I think for most of us in this country, it's like we have so much Abundance. I didn't wake up. You know, I know, I know, I know what's gonna be there. You know, there was a time, like the beginning of COVID. Maybe you asked for your daily toilet paper, and you're like, I don't know. God, I'm gonna go back to Costa today. Will it? Will it be there? You know. But what a weird, what a weird time to live in. But to remember, like Don Carson says, Jesus' disciples live one day at a time, and we have to remember that even if your fridge is always stocked and you always have everything you need, it's because God's done it. And I think it's what's even more important than God answering this prayer is for me to ask it. I think me asking for, the, for my daily bread is more important than him giving it to me. I would rather die of starvation than live with self-sufficiency, than live thinking that I provided my meal I I earned my paycheck. None of it's mine. All of it's so transient. All of it is so fragile and can be taken away in a moment. And so we depend on God. We admit that we can't provide our own daily bread, and we need him to do it. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We'll get back to forgiving our debtors in a moment, but he says, forgive us our debt. How how often is this prayer to be prayed? Daily. Daily. He just said, give us our daily bread. And Jesus expects that we will daily have to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And I know this about myself. I sin daily. Wish I didn't, but I do. Um, and, and we need that forgiveness. First John 1, 8 and 9 says, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe some of you have prayed for forgiveness, but you don't believe it's actually happening. Some some of us don't realize God's faithful and just to forgive us. Confession is so important in our prayers, to confess our sin before God, but to believe he'll do it. Do you believe he's faithful to forgive you? It says in, there in 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just. What does it mean? I was talking about this with the young adults on Thursday. What does it mean that he's just to forgive us? It means it's the right thing for him to do. God has to forgive you of your sin if you've put your faith in Jesus. Now, I'm not in the habit of telling God he has to do anything, but the nature of a just judge is that he will not punish the same crime twice. And if you're a believer in this room today and you've put your faith in Christ, your sin has already been punished on the cross. God cannot be mad at you anymore. And so when you come and you ask for that forgiveness, you ask for that that, that cleansing, he's faithful to cleanse you. say, it's already done. It's important that you ask. It's important that you confess But it's also important that you believe that he'll do it. And Jesus doesn't stop there because he moves on not to a prayer for forgiveness, but now a commitment to holiness. This next prayer, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, says, I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to live forgiven. I want to live righteously. I want to live a holy life. But it also admits that I don't have the power for that. And so when you see this, it might be weird, like, oh, does God want to lead me to, to temptation and I have to ask him not to? No, that's not, that's not the case. God doesn't even tempt us. Uh, James chapter one tells us, God doesn't tempt us. Here's what's happening in every trial you face. God is testing you. He's testing your faith. He's putting it through that fire because when it comes out as pure gold, you're gonna be all the more assured of your salvation. And that's a sweet thing. That's a sweet gift God wants to give you. And at the same time, through that same trial, Satan is tempting you. God's testing you to bring you closer to him. Satan's tempting you to walk away from God. That's what's going on in every trial, those two things simultaneously. And so when we pray this prayer, we're saying, God, gird me up. God, do for me what I can't do for myself. Don't give me anything that I can't handle. I long for that holiness, and I trust for you to do it. And it's to claim the promise of 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: No temptation has overtaken you, except what, such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape, so that you may be able to bear it. To pray this prayer, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is to stand upon that promise. We move to adoring, and this is where he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Now, if you have a more modern translation, maybe an ESV or an NIV or something like that, um, this probably won't be in the text. It'll be relegated to a footnote. But if you have a New King James or like an NASB, it'll be in the text, but there'll be a footnote saying that this probably, or, or this this is in uh, newer manuscripts, right? So the the idea here is that in the oldest manuscripts um, and what scholars think are the most reliable uh, manuscripts, this little little line isn't present. Um, And then in some maybe newer and what scholars would think are maybe a little less reliable manuscripts um, that that line is included. And so what probably happened is that it was added at some point. You know, in the early church, um, they wanted a a little doxology to kind of wrap this up. And so they added it. Um, We shouldn't be scared of that. Um, It's actually really reassuring that we have so many manuscripts of Scripture that we can actually compare them and help us make decisions like these. And there aren't a lot of these decisions uh, to be made but there's an overwhelming amount of, of evidence, of, of, of biblical manuscripts, more than any other ancient book. And so problems like these actually shore up my assurance um, in, in the validity of Scripture. But either way, the other thing about this line is that it doesn't contradict anything in Scripture. And why I love to see it there is because it reminds me to worship God. Like, God, yours is that kingdom that I ask to come. God, yours is the power to provide for me. And to protect me from falling away from the faith. God, yours is the glory for all of this. Like the hollowing of your name, that goes to you, God. And finally, to close up, we get to our attitude about forgiveness. In verse 14 and 15, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think some of us wish that This was the one that wasn't in all the manuscripts, (laughs) you know? This is the hard one. It's a scary verse for some of us. Let me just read what John Stott says about this. John Stott, he's a he's a a biblical scholar. He says, this certainly doesn't mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. Of of course, this is me adding, that would contradict Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works. But, he, but Stott goes on to say, it's rather that God forgives only the penitent, and that, the, that one of the chief evidence of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. You see, an unforgiving Christian is a walking contradiction, that they, they can't go together. If you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, you're demonstrating that you have not truly experienced God's forgiveness. Because look, the gap between you and and that, that that offense that someone's given you, it's this big compared to the infinite offense of our sin with God. And He's closed that gap. He's forgiven us. And yet we fail to forgive people for what God has already forgiven them for long ago. It's time to close that gap because our our horizontal relationships and attitudes with other people, they affect the vertical. They affect that relationship. And so if you're struggling with forgiveness this morning, I don't want you to now struggle with whether you're saved or not, but I want you to bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to experience truly your forgiveness. I need your help to forgive. God's fine with that. He, it, it's the heart that says, I refuse I won't do it. That, that, I think that's the person that really needs to do some evaluation this morning. But if you're struggling with your forgiveness, you're saying, God, I know this is what you want for my life, but it's so hard. It's that same thing again where your father says, perfect. That's a great place for you to be, my son, my daughter. Will you bring that to me? And I want to help you this morning. I want to provide for you. And so in closing, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And I want us just to apply this for, for a moment together. Um, so as as they play Softly for a moment. I'm, I'm gonna give us maybe just a minute to for you to look over this prayer and to pray it, to pray it into your life right now. To make it specific. Take this model, take this structure that Jesus gives you. And maybe it's some sin you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe there's real provision you need in your life. Maybe you haven't been centered on God's will. You've been centered on yourself. Maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness, like we closed talking about. But let's just take a moment to apply this to your life. Spend a moment in prayer before your heavenly father. And then I'll close us in prayer and, and Ben will lead us in a song together. So I'm good. Let's take a moment. And Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I pray for this church right now, Lord. And for my own heart that your word this morning, not anything foolish I may have said, Lord, erase any of that from our minds, anything that wasn't of you. And Lord, everything that you had to say, let it settle into our hearts and bring about transformation in our lives. And especially in our times of prayer, I pray that you would make this, Lord. I I don't don't know all the people of this church, but... You would deepen this as a, as a praying church, Lord. And even that Friday morning uh, prayer meeting that, that Ben announced, Lord, maybe you'd, you'd be able to free up more people to come to that. And Lord, just lay a foundation of prayer in this church. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.